nursing industry is one of the fastest growing career forces in the world today. There are so many issues in the healthcare field these days relating to nurses that simply are not discussed in the media. Welcome to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with Leanne Meyer. Our program will help you with the most relevant information if you're in the nursing field or are planning to enter the industry. Now, here is your host, Leanne Meyer. Welcome to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, Exploring the World of Nursing. I am Leanne Meyer, and I am so happy to have all of you back again to join us for this show. So I wanted to first mention our uh, sponsors. Our most recent sponsor is the Institute for Integrative Medicine, where they practice a holistic approach to health, taking into account the body, mind, soul, and spirit. They use both traditional and unconventional methods to partner in your care and help you transcend your dis-ease to create optimal health physically, psychologically, emotionally, and spiritually. Find them at www.integrativemedicine4u.com, and the four is a numeral, and the U is just you. Um, And also Holly Blue Nurse Community App, which is for and about nurses, You will find resumes, tools to help you stay organized, professional opportunities, community, and peer support. Uh, They're an interesting group uh, and pages just for nurses. And you can reach them at www.hollyblue.com, a community where nurses thrive. Today's episode is called Braver Angels Reaching Across the Divide. And uh, I am really honored to be able to welcome my guests today because they are doing the work that I wanted to do from November 8th, 2016. Um, I come from a long line of people that have had difficulty with communicating, especially during conflict, and this group is doing especially that. So my first guest is Bill Doherty, and he is a family uh, therapist, professor, and professor in the Department of Family Social Science at the University of Minnesota. He's also the co-founder of Braver Angels, and this is a group dedicated to citizen initiative, bringing conservatives and liberals together to counteract political polarization and restore the fraying social fabric in American society. I'm going to repeat that because I think that is a truly profound mission. So their mission is that they're a group of dedicated to citizen initiative, bringing conservatives and liberals together to counteract political polarization and restore the fraying social fabric in American society. Um, I think this is especially important in healthcare right now, where everyone's uh, emotions and um, uh, are just frayed, and we need to have uh, a way to be able to communicate uh, that is helpful and efficient and effective. And so um, I also have David Ball with us today, and he is an RN. Uh, He was on the show on January 7th, 2018, Mm -hmm. shortly after he joined Braver Angels, and he talked with me about conflict communication. So if that's something you'd like to go back to that show, you'd be able to get more information there too. So David is currently the Braver Angels Massachusetts State Coordinator among many other areas in which he is involved. While our topic is conflict, I would like to focus on healthcare conflict over COVID uh, more than the political divide. I'm hoping our guests can role play a productive dialogue on this subject before we end today. 
So, Bill, please um, introduce yourself, to, uh, tell us a little bit about your bio, and how did you come to found Braver Angels? Um, we'll talk a little more about the community later. Bill, right, are you there? You, um, yep, can you hear me? I can. All right, all right. So it's great to be with you. Um, and I uh, just have to uh, just tell your audience that um married to a nurse. Uh, we met in a mm-hmm. hospital setting when I was a therapist. Okay. So um, that's part of the part of the attraction to be on your, your show with you. <clears throat> so I, I have um, uh, practiced uh, marriage and family therapy for a long time and also done a lot of uh, public engagement work and uh, just um, uh, started with Braver Angels without any big plan other than a couple of colleagues of, of mine <clears throat> called me and <clears throat> asked me if I would facilitate a conversation between 10 Hillary Clinton voters and 10 Donald Trump voters in Ohio <clears throat> in December 2016. Hmm. Uh, and I said, well, okay. <clears throat> so decided to do it. Uh, we met for 13 hours over a weekend um, in a church basement uh, to um, see if we understand each other stereotypes and find common ground. And it worked. <clears throat> it was uh, quite a powerful experience. And so we decided to keep going. Uh, and that's, uh, that's how Brother Angels got going. Wow. And now it's nationwide, correct? <laughs> Say it again. I didn't hear you. I'm sorry. And now it is nationwide? Yes, yes. We've uh, uh, done workshops in really 46 states. Uh, we have 14,000 members, uh, and we've got uh, lots of workshops, skills workshops, uh, and all kinds of uh, what we call red-blue workshops. Yeah, so, And we have great people like David involved. Wonderful. Fantastic. So, uh, David, let's, let's bring you in, too. Uh, welcome back, first of all. And then can you share a bit of your bio, and then how did you come to or be involved with the Braver Angels? Hi, Leanne. Thank you so much for inviting me back. Um, you have a wonderful show, and I'm, I'm, I'm pleased to be on with Bill. I've had the, the privilege to, um, uh, to be the moderator for, um, for several of these red-blue workshops, and it is just it's absolutely remarkable. You take people who have gotten to the point in their tribes where they don't trust each other, they don't understand each other, uh, they don't want to know each other, and you bring them together and you say, you know, can you be respectful? Can you listen to someone else? Hear them out. And they do. And, and, and you put them through exercises that, that, that Bill has put together about um, uh, stereotypes and about um, learning how to ask questions of authenticity. And it's remarkable. By the end of the day, people have a newfound level of uh, of understanding and and trust, and they want to work together. And I'm just I'm really pleased to be associated with Braver Angels. Well, I am sure they're happy to have you too, uh, both with your conflict background and also as a nurse. That's a whole nother audience um, that where there's a lot of conflict. And, and as I said before, because we're uh, all of those working in healthcare at the front lines uh, and pretty much all throughout healthcare, the clinics, everywhere, um, people are just under tremendous stress. And stress is generally when we don't hear each other very well and we don't say what's on our mind very well either. So, um, 
maybe uh, uh, I'm trying to think where would be a good place to start here. Um, how do you think um, the polarization uh, in the United States is impacting healthcare? Is it? Um, and and what are the polarizations? Maybe it's not as much political. I'm thinking political has to come into the healthcare setting too. So, Bill, do you want to start and just um, what your thoughts are? Well, sure. Um, it's uh, hard for anyone not to realize that the political divisiveness, polarization, um, has affected healthcare, particularly this year with with the COVID situation, with the pandemic. Um, it's of course it's affected us before as we as we debate healthcare policy, <clears throat> but now it's really getting to be life and death uh, as we. Uh, have a couple of things going on. One is as different uh, political groups uh, take different stances towards the the pandemic, how serious it is it, and uh, what kinds of protection should people have, uh, particularly um, social distancing um, and face coverings. Uh, uh, so <clears throat> this has become polarized. Uh, we, we, we now, <clears throat> we're in a part of the country where People are not wearing masks. Uh, you have reason to believe that they're, that's a red conservative part of the country. If you're another place where everyone is, you might think it's more blue or more liberal. <clears throat> so it's right, right in front of us right now, completely, it, it, literally in our face. Mm-hmm. And what other things, uh, uh, David, would you like to add to that, that you, from your background and experience would know could be problems in the healthcare, uh, like if you're working in um, a health a COVID unit or something like that? Well, I mean, Bill makes some good points. I mean, we, there's always been a, a difference depending on uh, on your political orientation, on how we should address like healthcare financing. But mm-hmm. but now, you know, whether or not to wear a mask, that that, that becomes a political question. And, and you know, it's it's not just a question of, of the social distancing and the face masks. I mean, now we've got the vaccine, you know, and, and there are the anti-vaxxers. And there's, there's the whole question about, uh, you know, who should get a vaccine when, whether someone's going to do it, whether people can be trusted. Um, and, and that all gets back to that talking and trusting and, um, you know, where do you get your news and all of that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's, it's a very important time for us to be able to interact with each other and hear each other out and develop understanding and, and, and trust. You know, I really feel for, you know, the common person who knows nothing about healthcare and, you know, their experiences going into a clinic or a hospital and somebody takes care of them uh, because it isn't just, uh, you know, there are various uh, divisions in healthcare where doctors and scientists are coming forward and saying the exact opposite of each other, using the same statistics, same information, and then saying the exact opposite. So how how is that? Um, I'm trying to think how to ask this, but um, how, how does that then create uh, more problems uh for particularly the citizens to understand and know what to believe. I mean, I think that just divides the trust immediately because you've got experts on both sides of the of the ball game. Yes. Yeah, so oh, I'll David, I'm sorry. 
uh, so um, I'll take a first stab at it. The the um, it's a matter, as, as David was saying, of social trust uh, <clears throat> and <clears throat> and leadership. I would add to that <clears throat> when um, when there are experts. Uh, of course, most I think most experts um, are agreeing of the severity of the pandemic mm-hmm. and the vaccine and and so on, but not all. And when there is disagreement. Uh, this is where we look to community leaders. We look to political leaders. We look to thought leaders, maybe even religious leaders. We look to leaders who we trust to sort out uh, what the experts are saying uh, and mm-hmm. have a conclusion on it. Mm-hmm. Um, this is how we decide many things in healthcare. What what are healthier diets? Um, um, you know, medication use. It's not that mm-hmm. there is complete unanimity among experts, but we look to those we trust, uh, and um, and this is part of our problem then because we we don't have anymore uh, any consensus about uh, public leaders whom most people trust, uh, and so we take our signals from uh, political leaders who become like our tribal leaders. And we resist anything coming from the other side. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's very true. Um, how might it show up, David, in in a uh, unit? So if you you have a unit, um, usually when uh, units are especially going through crisis situations, they're pretty closely allied. Uh, you get to the point where you don't even have to say anything. The other person can look at you and they just know what it is you want or you might need, or you can even anticipate ahead of time what they're going to need. So when you have this kind of conflict where perhaps somebody is coming in with two different political agendas and then coming into a room where you're seeing such devastation, um, how might that uh, impact their ability to communicate effectively? Well, you know, one of the things that we've really never had a chance, never had to deal with in the past, is is making um, decisions. Take, for example, PPE. So mm-hmm. you're on a unit that that has uh, a number of people Personal that are infected, and you have to, yeah, and you have to reuse uh, some gowns or, or masks or gloves or things like that. And and we're kind of in uncharted waters, and so. In the past, you could rely on hard science where this wasn't a novel anything. This was something where we we knew what was Mm -hmm. going on, and for a long time, we knew what the right answer was, and having rules and regulations and always having the best of everything. And we're we're in a different spot now. We're we're learning as we go along. We're having to deal with uh, not having enough equipment. We're having to deal with people that are just hearing things for the first time, and that, that makes it stressful. Uh, it's stressful mm-hmm. for the staff. It's, stress, it's stressful for the supervisors. Um, it's stressful for visitors and for patients. Mm-hmm. Also, I think even, you know, like you said, this is a novel coronavirus, and I don't know how much people really understand what that means. It means we have no idea. I mean, it's just, um, it's like some sort of a game where uh, something has been int- introduced to a group and you're supposed to figure out what it is and you know, what the impact of it is and what to do about it, and you have nothing to start with. Um, that's what I think makes it especially difficult because the um, leaders, the the scientists, 
were saying different things almost every week. It seemed like what they were saying and what they were recommending was changing. And I think that probably diminished the amount of trust that people have. Um, David, would you, well, you agree? Know, and, 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 yeah, yeah, and you could certainly view that in, <clears throat> in more than one way. So uh, I remember when, when Dr. Fauci uh, was saying back in February, uh, he said, um, uh, you know, if you have an N95 mask, don't wear it. Make you know, make make sure that those are available for healthcare people. Um, I'm not even sure that you necessarily need a mask. Um, at the time, that was the that was the best science there was, and and nowadays mm-hmm. we know different, and situations mm-hmm. are different. Um, and, and so, there are two ways of looking at the idea that. Dr. Fauci is saying something different in February than he's saying in December. One is to think, well, he was wrong. He doesn't know what he's talking about. He's an idiot. I'm not going to listen to him. The other way to look at it is here's a smart guy. He spent his life working on this. It's a new virus. He's given us the latest information that he knows this week. And when he learns something new, he's going to say, you know what? We have a more complete answer. This is what you should be doing. Mm -hmm. And and I, I choose to look at the latter. You know, when, when, something, when something is disproved in science, to me that doesn't mean that science is stupid mm-hmm. or, or that people that followed advice in the past were wrong. It simply means that as over time we get better and we, our understanding becomes more complete. And in doing so, we change. And, mm-hmm. and to me the fact that, that the government was telling us something different in February and in December isn't disturbing to me. As a matter of fact, I find it comforting. It says that, that people are trying to understand this and get right. better. Right. And they're finding some things that work. And once you've found something to work, you can you know, spread it out to more people. Uh, but yeah, the people that want things to be black and white, they want it to be very, very clear with no um, contradiction at all. So I was thinking about two um, uh, chief nursing officers that I interviewed a couple of weeks ago. Uh, who were at the first hospitals in New York City when they were hit with the first patients that were coming into the hospital. And what one of them mentioned was she said there were times when her, her job as a chief nursing officer was to go around to every unit and make sure they knew what the latest re- recommendations were. And she said, sometimes I was visiting each unit three or four times a day because it was changing that fast. So now you've got people yeah. working. They're scared to death because they know this is really, really dangerous. They're seeing patients who are ex- exhibiting uh, symptoms they've never never seen before and have no idea what to do with. And so you're scared. And those people you're trying to rely on are telling you something different every you know, hour or two. So that sets us up for the conflict, I think, that we have in the healthcare. So with the the principles bill that you have come up with on how to teach people. I, I realize you, it's pretty hard to do that when you're in the midst of the conflict or in the midst of the crisis. But at, what you're doing is trying to teach people how to deal with conflict, correct? Yeah. And so one of the, uh, one of the things I um, developed and we did some piloting on in, in, a, in Texas uh, is a, special workshop on the COVID situation because I think that the key divide was uh, at the beginning was over um, how much do we emphasize 
uh, health and safety, physical safety, and how much do we emphasize keeping the economy going? So if you remember back in March when there was a big shutdown, um, mm-hmm. this is where the political divide came in between people who said, we can't tank the economy, we're losing these businesses, people are unemployed, <clears throat> versus those who said that we have to emphasize safety. If we don't emphasize that, then the economy will be shot anyway. Uh, and so that that became a huge uh, political divide. <clears throat> and so a Braver Angels approach to this uh, was in a workshop I, uh, that we developed in, in Texas where uh, people got to articulate uh, both sets of values. <clears throat> in other words, those who uh, come down on the side of safety first uh, have had a chance to say, uh, w- why they were also concerned about the economy, economic well-being, businesses, and employment, and those who emphasize the um, the economy uh, could also have a chance to fully say that we have to keep people safe. Mm-hmm. What happens so often in conflict is that each person actually holds multiple values, two values, but they're emphasizing one of them. So you might start out as 60-40. I emphasize 160 mm-hmm. and the other 40, and you the reverse. By the time we finish polarizing, we're at 90-10. Mm-hmm. And then you don't think I care about mm-hmm. the other perspective. So so designed a Braver Angels experience where people got to articulate everything they valued and to, to then say, understand how complex it is uh, to work out the balance and that people of goodwill can come down differently on how to strike the balance. So I'd like to hear more about this, but maybe we could take a break here and for a couple of minutes and come back and pick it up again as we get back. Uh, so this, uh, the title of today's episode is Braver Angels Reaching Across the Divide. And my guests are Bill Doherty, who is the co-founder of Braver Angels, and David Bell is an RN, and uh, he's the Massachusetts Braver Angels coordinator. So we will be coming back and talking more specifically about uh, those conflicts and how emotional they can get and what we can do uh, uh, to stop them or hopefully make them uh, improved. So we'll be back in just a couple of minutes. Listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Womeninhealthcare.org, a national nonprofit, is our newest partner at Once a Nurse. It is among the most rapidly growing professional development groups for women in healthcare today. Through healthcare education, professional development, mentorship, community, and a focus on self, the organization empowers women with the tools needed to advance their careers. They use initiatives to break down barriers within organizations and equip women with the tools needed to open a powerful force for gender parity. 80% of the healthcare workforce is female, with nurses a massive majority of that percentage. But less than 20% of leadership is female. Join womeninhealthcare.org as they help all women of all ages and all levels rise up. Use code HEALTHPROS to receive $50 off the annual membership fee and receive discounted pricing for events, free resources, webinars, and a substantial discount for our annual leadership summit on October 22, 2020. Womeninhealthcare.org 
to be where you want to be in the world of healthcare. Hey nurses, what would you say is the hardest part about being a nurse? Well, most of you would say it's putting everyone else's needs before our own, which means not enough time for self-care. And this is why Holly Blue has created a peer support and community app just for nurses, so you can take care of you. Holly Blue is the ultimate nurse app to help you connect with local nurses, organize your nurse life in one place, restore your love for nursing, and empower you to thrive in a field that needs you. Want to see how it works? Student nurses, nurses, and retired nurses can download this free app on the App Store Google Play now. Just type in H-O-L-L-I-B-L-U or go to hollyblue.com to start connecting. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health & Wellness. Listening to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with host Leanne Meyer. To reach the program today, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to leannevoiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse. Welcome back to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, Exploring the World of Nursing. I am Leanne Meyer, and today we're talking, the, our title of our program is Braver Angels Reaching Across the Divide. And my guests are Bill Doherty, uh, co-founder of Braver Angels, and David Ball, who is a nurse and uh, is the Massachusetts Braver Angels coordinator. Um when we were talking just briefly before, um, uh, Bill Doherty was talking to us about uh, how in the workshops that they hold, they provide a safe place for people who are on very opposite sides of a topic. In this case, maybe it would be healthcare. He used the example of a, a hospital in Texas where they did a workshop and worked through some of this. And, you know, maybe people, you know, people have, Uh, I think what he had said was that people have different uh, ways of looking at things. They may not be all one way or the other, but then as somebody uh, pushes on them, they may go more strongly in one direction or the other. So, David, um, uh, do you want to um, embellish that at all or talk to how that kind of happens as people start to get even further apart before they can get together? Well, you know, I was thinking about um, one of the exercises that Bill has us do in the Red Blue Workshop, it's called the fishbowl. And, and you can imagine that if you, if you want to demonize or say that you can't understand a group, you can say, well, you know, I, I can't understand why those LPNs do this or why the RNs do mm-hmm. this. But if, if you had the opportunity, let's say that you had, um, uh, if you put a, a, a bunch of chairs around in a circle, and you put all of the nursing assistants and the LPNs, and you had them sit down there, and you, you gave them two questions. You, 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 the first question was, um, you know, what is it that you do that really makes things better for patients or makes the hospital more successful? And you ask them another question. You say, well, you know, what is it that if you had a magic wand that you could change that would make things better? And then Outside of that fishbowl, you had the RNs or you had the supervisors, um, and and they wouldn't speak, they wouldn't interact. They're simply there to listen, and and so you have people talking about you know what it is that they do and the impact that they have and why they're proud to be an LPN and you know and all of that. And then you hear, oh well, this if I could just tell somebody, this is what I'd have be different. 
And that's powerful. We do that with, 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 the, uh, with the conservatives and the liberals. But imagine mm-hmm. you can do that in the healthcare setting, too. Um, mm-hmm. Lots of things that, that he does in those workshops that I, I just think are tremendous. Yeah, that's, that's really what I was thinking of. So many times when we're in the discussion or in what we call dialogue, and usually it's less dialogue than it is uh, uh, confrontation, um, we're thinking right. about the next thing we're going to say or, or, you know, what's the uh, data that I heard last week that I'm going to bring into this and this is really going to make them change their mind. It's the people outside the fishbowl who are really listening. And they, at that moment, may not have uh, a bone in the fight. And so they can step back and hear both sides. And often um, that's what has to happen before uh, somebody can say, do you realize you're really almost saying the same thing? And and that's been my experience with conflict is a lot of times they're just verbalizing it a little bit differently or coming at it from a different perspective. But when you come right down to it, they're both concerned about similar things um so uh in that workshop bill um can you remember one of the discussions maybe there was something that they wanted to um address and how does that work as far as with you working with them so give an example i guess is what i'm saying yeah so i'll just uh, just one that that uh, comes to my mind is that we teach uh, people to when you want to make a point where people differ from you, it can be helpful not just to do talking points, but to tell a story, to make it personal. Uh, this is much more influential. So I'm just recalling a workshop where um, in, in that fishbowl, um, the topic of uh, healthcare came up uh, and um, this was at a time when there were serious efforts in Congress to uh, to get rid of uh, Obamacare. Uh, and a nurse who happened to be a, in the blue group, she was in the liberal group, uh, said something like this. You know, I'm not an expert on health care policy and health care economics. Uh, I, can, I can say, though, that I'm an oncology nurse, and before Obamacare, I had patients who I couldn't get treatment for. Mm-hmm. I, I, had, I had people who died uh, because they couldn't, they couldn't afford the treatment. They I couldn't get them the help they needed. And then now, under Obamacare, I can get the help I need for everybody, all my patients. And mm-hmm. I know lives have been saved. And so that, that's just my experience on the ground. That's very powerful. Mm-hmm. That's very powerful more than if she had clicked off a bunch of points that somebody in Congress might be arguing. Exactly. So making it personal, this is my personal experience. So I'm, here's where I'm coming from. This is what I've experienced. And then the other person can, you know, look at it from, well, gee, I've never had that experience. It never would have occurred me to me that that would be an issue. Yeah. Is is that right? Nobody in, in that workshop on the on the red or conservative side uh, was in healthcare, but you could imagine somebody on that side saying, "You know, I'm a healthcare uh, administrator, and I just the complexity of of all of the paperwork and the multiple forms, and it just increased increased drastically under Obamacare, and that troubles me." Again, that would be a similar kind of way 
you have citizens talking to citizens uh, based on their experience. Mm -hmm. Excellent. So um, would you say, David, that you have experienced something like that in your time as a nurse? Uh, where there was, you know, pretty strong feelings on both sides, but they weren't getting verbalized very well. They just were um, inflaming each other. Well, you know, often I think when when we demonize, we demonize as, as a group. It's a faithless kind of thing. You know, mm -hmm. if, if, if you say, well, you know, the doctors... Um, are an uncaring group of people. You know, I mean, this, this patient is obviously hurting. They, they should be writing a prescription for narcotics, and they're not. Uh, it's because they don't care. Mm -hmm. All right? When you say that, you're not really talking about an individual. Because when you talk to an individual and you say to the doctor, hey, this patient says that their pain is a 7 out of 10, and it's most of the time, and they can't seem to do anything else but, but sit there and hurt. And the doctor comes back to you and says, I can appreciate that. Thank you for letting me know. I just want you to know I have some concerns about addiction and constipation and nightmares and, you know, I'm working on it. And, you know, on an individual level, when we, when we interact with people, uh, there's a tendency for us to be able to, to hear them and understand and humanize them. Um, it's, it's when we aggregate it. It's when we say they're all like that, that it's right. this monothelistic group that um that it's easy to hate them mm -hmm. so when you can get people actually in the same room and looking each other in the eye and having to uh really hear okay this is an individual person sharing their real experience it's harder for me to stay in that well you're a doctor and so you're a monster um because this is a real person and i can say this is obviously a caring person, but he still disagrees with me or she disagrees with me. So what do you do when you get to that point where you've got two groups of people, they've been very much opposed, now they're sitting down together and they're starting to realize maybe we're not quite so far apart. Maybe this individual knows something I don't know and I know something they don't know. Bill, what yeah, happens that's right. then? Well, yeah, this can be done at the group level. And I also want to say that part of the effect of uh, Brave Angel's work on me is that I can imagine uh, people who I don't know, um, and but who feel passionately about something that concerns me. So uh, just to be specific about it, I, I am convinced that wearing masks um, is a very important way to preserve health in our country. Um, protect ourselves and protect others. Um, and um, I don't know many people personally who refuse to do that on the grounds of uh, personal freedom, that's invasion of the freedom. I, I read about folks like that. Uh, but I can take what I've learned in Brave Angels and try to apply it to those people. In other words, to not demonize them, even though I don't know them. And mm -hmm. to remind myself that a personal freedom is a very important value to me. It's an important value to our country. Uh, it has to be, we can't have government and healthcare professionals just invading people's autonomy willy-nilly. Um, and so that's where they're coming from. Uh, now, I also think that there are some competing values here that outweigh personal freedom when it comes to wearing a mask. But I've, what I've learned in Braver Angels 
is to not jump to demonizing conclusions or disparaging conclusions about whole groups of people who I haven't met who see things differently than I do. Mm-hmm. What that made me think of is when I was teaching a lot of conflict um, uh, management, uh, one of the things that we used to say to people is, uh, you know, especially people who are that far along that are saying they're a moron, they are idiots, how can they possibly even think that way, they must be something wrong with them, um, to ask them to step back and say, what if you imagine this person is is not, um, that they're a very rational person, and there's something about what they're saying or thinking that makes absolute sense to them. And if you imagine they're they're a uh, rational person and you become curious, I think it's the curiosity to find out what is it in this situation that appears rational from their point of view. Then it kind of takes it out of a personal situation. Either they have to be an idiot or a moron or I have to be and I'm sure I'm not. So it's them. Uh, David, talk about that. Right. <laughs> David, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, it's it, it's something that that Bill has challenged us to do, and and that is uh, imagine how somebody who doesn't think like you um, can be a, a caring, rational person. Right. And and one of the the aha things that I got out of the first Red Blue workshop that I attended was at the end of it, I, I said I just assumed that people that didn't agree with me didn't care or that they were mm-hmm. uninformed. And that's not the case at all. It's, it's that they, they have a different set of life experiences. They may have different preferences. They may not articulate things the way I do. Um, but that doesn't make it any less valid. And, and I just, now whenever I see something that I, my first reaction is to, um, is, is to just kind of either throw up a defense or, or just say, I can't understand why somebody would be such an idiot. Um, Instead, I try to imagine how somebody could think the way that they think. And, and it turns out that quite often there are real reasons that people really do care and they are compassionate and they are intelligent and they've thought through these things. They just come at it from a different perspective. Mm-hmm. Okay, so now we've got this, this group has come together to the point that they're starting to question their own uh, strong emotional reactions and are starting to think, you know, maybe I can learn something here. Then, Bill, where do you go from there with that? Well, we do in Brave Bear Angels. We invite people to uh, go further, to join what we call Brave Angels Alliances, which are groups of reds and blues who, who meet monthly and keep the conversation going and sponsor other workshops. <clears throat> we encourage them to talk this up in their lives um, to, in, in other words, become a kind of an agent uh, of depolarization in their lives and community to kind of s- spread the word on it. We have a workshop called Depolarizing Within, which is, it teaches um, how to intervene with groups of like-minded people when those conversations go in the direction that David was just uh, talking about. You know, all those other people are, are ignorant or mm-hmm. crazy or Ill, ill-willed. When we're in a conversation with people like us who, uh, who are putting others down that way, 
it's kind of like being in a conversation with a group of white people and their racist comments made. Right. Um, you know, what do you do, and how do you how do you speak up in a in a in a, uh, in a an effective way that doesn't get you fired from your own group, <laughs> but where you 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 can't just sit still anymore for people who you agree with uh, putting down half of the population. Right. Yeah. So it's it's yeah, again I mean, it goes back to consent, right? So. Right. Right. So it goes back to that point of okay, I'm I'm learning something. Um, uh, maybe I've learned some skills on how to quiet my own emotional reactions and my need to give a, a response. Um, and I'm quieting myself enough to be able to listen to what this person has to say. Um, and then uh, and then to continue that conversation so that, uh, one, it has to be respectful. And uh, what would be some of the other things that people need to keep in mind? Um, say, David... When they're when they're well, realizing I, I think, they're going to have a I think tough conversation. A, yeah, well, I think having a um, having an inquiring mind, and if you start out by asking somebody, you say, "Hey, can I can I ask you about this? I'm I'm interested in mm-hmm. in your thought process in this, or what your opinion is." Um, you've done a lot of things, right? You've given them some power to to either have that conversation or not, and and then you you've said that I have enough respect for you that I care about what it is that you want to say and I'm listening to you. And that that just kind of that sets the stage and it 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 says, um, I want to have a conversation. I want to understand. I want to work through this together. And uh and that's the kind of stuff that we get out of the workshops. Mm-hmm. So it must be just tremendously um uh, invigorating to have these two groups come together and you can feel the tension at the beginning of the meeting and by the end of the workshop, have people maybe even shaking hands, exchanging phone numbers. Is that ever happened? Is that that occurs? Oh, sure. <clears throat> sure, absolutely. Okay. We also have one-to-one conversations, structured one-to-one conversations that people can have via Zoom or in the, mm-hmm. you know, in the pre-pandemic era at a coffee shop, uh, mm-hmm. which follow similar kinds of, of uh, exercises and where people get to say, we you know, like we ask this question, what life experiences have influenced your approach to uh, public policy and, and, and politics, you know, uh, just to tell your story. Uh, and these are ways to humanize people. When we only focus on policy differences or lifestyle differences, we tend to then caricature create a caricature of people. And so mm-hmm. all, uh, what we do in Brave Angels is break that down and we humanize one another. Right. That's it. So um, we're at a point where let's uh, try and make this uh, come to life maybe a little bit. Um, I am going to have the two of you model uh, an interaction. And uh, I think you have maybe talked a little bit more so you know what you want to do. Um, perhaps we could have Bill, explain just briefly the situation that you're going to be in with David, and then um, proceed. So Bill, yeah, start. So we're just going to we're going to wing this here, okay? <laughs> um, I'm going to I'm going to be the nurse. <clears throat> David is going to be um, the um, let's say the adult son of a patient um, uh, um, uh, who is um, in the hospital, um, and not for COVID. Um, and he's going to he's going to show up. 
uh, on the unit without a mask on. Uh, and he's got, uh, you know, he, he's an anti-masker, okay? Um, okay? And so we're going to just, uh, <laughs> that's the setup here. I'm the one that has to try the skills. David just gets to be difficult. So he's got he the gets to job. be have the fun part. Okay. So, okay. So David, I'll just start. Are you ready to go? Uh, I'll, I'll just start with. Uh, yeah. So, uh, uh, can I help you today? Yeah. Yeah. I'm here to see my mom. She she slipped on the ice and she broke her hip. Okay. And so um, my name's uh, Bill, and your name is. I'm David. David. Okay, David. Uh, so, uh, uh, David, I'm oh, sorry about your mom. I, I, I noticed, David, you're not wearing a mask. Could you tell me what's going on? Well, you know, who knows what to believe these days? All I know is that the government is trying to tell me to wear a mask. And I'm like, you know what? This is still America. And, uh, you know, I don't know if we're going to start having police arresting people for not wearing masks. Uh, I just I want somebody to show me in the Constitution where it says that I have to do that. I just I don't think this thing is as bad as people think it is, and and so I'm I'm yeah okay. I'm not wearing one. Yeah, so I, I I hear you. It's obviously some something you have strong feelings about. You've 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 thought through. <clears throat> In terms of our our unit here in this hospital, uh, there is a rule that we we all have to wear masks. I'm wearing one. And everybody else is. I'm I'm happy to talking with you about this. Would would you do me the favor just just for now, just for our you know, for this moment, if I give you a mask, could you would you be willing to put it on just so we can keep talking? Yeah, I I mean I don't mind that. I, I just Yeah, I mean I'll do that. I'll do that. I just Okay, yeah. So let me, you know, let me this, give it this whole thing. I, I just I just Yeah, no, I wanna I wanna I wanna keep talking with you. I just wanna make sure yeah. that we can keep talking because otherwise I'd hate to have to ask you to yeah. leave and all that. That would be, that wouldn't be any good. You want to see your, you want to see your mom. So, um, okay. So yeah. thanks. Thanks for that. <laughs> so, yep. um, and so I have a, I have a little time here and I'm happy to, happy to, to, to chat with you. Um, so this is something you have a lot of strong feelings about. Um, um, and, and it, it maybe, could you tell me how you got to your strong views on, on wearing masks? What, 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 what happened that got you here? Well, you know, the government is always looking for a way to chip away at your personal freedom. And once you take away someone's personal freedom, they don't get it back. And and the idea that because, you know, there's a there's a flu running around that, I mean, I understand it's, it's supposed to be, uh, you know, more contagious and worse than the regular flu and stuff like that. But to, to, to mean that everybody has to wear a mask, um, that's, that's that's above and beyond and i i you know i'm not sick you know if i had a fever i wouldn't go near anybody but um mm-hmm. they're uncomfortable it makes it difficult to breathe and um you know from 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 what i see on on in the media um the science is not in it's it's not clear about what no. what the story is so um yeah that's where yeah. i'm at okay yeah so it is um listen to you, it sounds like there's a lot of things involved for you, but what I heard, like the biggest one, one you started off with, is the idea of the government making a decision that everybody has to do this. I mean, that it sounds like that's a big part of this for you, a government mandate. Yeah, and then the police are, and there's talk about the police going and arresting people that aren't wearing masks. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, and then the other, so, uh, so government forcing and also, um, uh, you know, you're not so sure it's necessary even from a medical standpoint. 
government. And so it's a double whammy, right? The government plus uh, it's the, the, the evidence isn't there that it's useful. Am I, am I understanding what you're saying? You are. I mean, you, you, you're, you're obviously listening to me, and, and I, I tell you, I appreciate that, because I, I will tell you that, uh, you know, people look at me without a mask, and they, they go ballistic, and they start calling me all different kinds of names and stuff, and they don't want to hear me out, okay? They don't want to hear yeah. why it is that I feel the way that I feel. Um, they just want to tell me what to do. Yeah, yeah, no, uh, yeah, no I, 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 I get you on that. Um, and and it's it, you get disrespected <clears throat> by people. And so I, it would would it be okay if I give you my perspective as a nurse. I'm not a I'm not an epidemiologist or government worker. I'm I'm, I'm a nurse here. Uh, can I share my perspective? Yeah, yeah. No, I'd be interested. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I uh, so I'm working on a unit here where I'm trying to help people not get COVID. And I've worked on COVID units too. And what 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 I see, and from everything I have learned, <clears throat> um, wearing a mask is the way to keep my patients safe. Uh, and I think that for some of my patients I've taken care of on COVID units, some of whom have died, that if people in their lives have been wearing masks, they they may have lived. And so I'm kind of feel like I'm on the you know the front line of the of the war here, and. Um, you know, like, uh, I don't know, I read about in the Second World War, people were buying war bonds, you know, for, to, 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 to help the effort. So from my perspective, um, uh, wearing masks is a way to help the effort to keep people safe. And, and I understand that you know, it's a heavy hand of the government and all of that that, that bothers people. From, from my point of view, God, we just have to keep people safe. Oh, I... I can appreciate that. What do you think about vaccines? I mean, I'm 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 seeing in the news that Bill Gates may be putting like a microchip in the vaccines and things like that. I mean, should we, should we be taking it? Is it safe? Yeah. Again, I, what what I've been learning here, and again, this I'm not an expert in this, but we've had some updates here from some some uh, some doctors and professors and others who I respect, I know and respect. And they're, they're telling me that this has been a straight-up process with the Pfizer and the other company, straight up uh, with, with no monkey business. Uh, uh, and so um, the people that I rely on to give me straight information are saying this, this, that stuff is not happening, although I know there's lots of rumors. It's hard Hard this day and age. There's rumors and, and they spread. I'm going to stop media. you, Bill. So I, I'm going to take it. I'm, I'm going to. Bill, take it. I'm going to stop you yeah, here. Okay. Um, I think we got to a good place. Um, so it, it definitely does help to be able to see this. Uh, we're really coming to the end of the show, and I want to thank you both for uh, being here. Um, is there anything, any one thing you'd like to uh, just? say as, as a, a goodbye or one point that you would like to make to our listeners? So about like 30 yeah, seconds so, each. Yeah, so uh, so I'll just say it was a pleasure to be with you all and good to have a chance to practice this with David. Uh, and mm-hmm. and we didn't come to a conclusion, but he, I, he, it felt like he was softening. Yes. So David, maybe you could comment on that. Yes. Yeah. David? You know, you used words like respect and straight up and stuff that, that resonates with me. 
And and I think if you're speaking the language that somebody else is used to and and, and the, the kinds of things that are important to them, that, I mean, you started by listening and hearing me out and validating that 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 I have some worth and that my opinion has some worth. Uh, and then you went and you gave me your opinion. And, and that's, a, that's a good conversation. And I'm, I'm glad to have participated today. Thank you so much, both yeah. of you for being here. It's been just, I was, I'm very grateful. So I want to just uh, close today. Uh, I want to, would like to leave this very serious year with a serious, but hopeful quote. No matter what the circumstances, you should never concede defeat. Never conclude that you've reached a dead end, that everything is finished. You possess a glorious future. And precisely because of that, you must persevere and study. Life is eternal. We need to focus on the two existences of the present and the future and not get caught up in the past. We must always have the spirit to begin anew from this moment forward to initiate a new struggle each day. And this is from Daisaku Ikeda, a Japanese poet laureate and lifelong peace advocate. So um, I really appreciate if you can let me know your thoughts on my website, www.onceanurse.com, or write me at leanne at onceanurse.com. I want to thank all of my 110,000 listeners in 70 countries for listening this year particularly. I want you to make it a great week, month, and year ahead, and don't let anyone take it away. And again, I thank my guests uh, for this uh, topic today, Braver Angels Reaching Across the Divide, with Bill Doherty, the co-founder of Braver Angels, and David Ball, who is the RN Massachusetts uh, Braver Angels coordinator. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with your host, Leanne Meyer. Be sure to join us again next Monday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a productive and insightful week.